Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Monday night edition of the Dunk Time Basketball Podcast. Getting to part two of our Reddit mailbag. Our sponsors today are MeUndies. Go ahead and revamp your underwear drawer. Go to MeUndies.com slash Capspace to get 20% off your first pair. And then SeatGeek. Use that Capspace code to get a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, so uh, why don't we continue on here with these other two questions from Drop That Dirk a Dirk. I uh, thought both of these were pretty good. The first one of the remaining ones is, if the Jazz look to move Derek Favors this summer, what do you think would be a fair return? And, and he suggested something like a lottery-protected future first. Favors is an interesting case. If he had had a healthy year this year, he's got one year, about $11 million left on his contract after this. You could look at him and say, hey, George Hill got the number 12 pick. Thad Young got the 20th pick and then also that reverse protected second rounder that has to be in the top half of the, of the second round. Favors is better than either of those guys. He should get more than that. Uh, those guys both. Uh, and yeah, I guess Young too also had uh, two years left on his contract rather than the one for Hill. But those are some analogs however favors has not been healthy number one number two year by year combo bigs like him become less valued now he's in a different case because he's a good defender i think he's a solid especially before he got hurt he is a good defender at power forward even ability his ability to get out on players was impressive him him and gobert together has been very good defensively whether he can hold up as a center you know he's kind of more more of a Tristan Thompson type of center in some ways now maybe a little better rim protector than Tristan but not much but a guy who can move his feet but that's if he's healthy and we don't know where he's at with all these knee problems he's had the last couple of years so I do think maybe a lottery protected future first seems about right to me uh but you know was it like uh, do the Jazz want to go into next season with Boris Dia, although I think Dia actually is a free agent. Uh, Joe a, Johnson. He has a non-guarantee. Oh, and no, he's another non-guarantee still? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was this year. I thought this was the last year of that. Aha, I beat you to it. He does, in fact, have another non-guaranteed season at $7.5 million, uh, next year. That'll and be interesting. A and a late guarantee date of uh, July 15th. So they can... I mean, they're probably not going to be using cap space uh, anyway this summer as long as Hill comes back. I mean, there's as we talked about, there's a lot of concerns there. So I think, I mean, because what if uh, Gordon Hayward leaves in free agency, right? Like then they just they just need more talent on the roster at that point. They got to keep him around. Um, and again, we've talked about how in the NBA, it's so hard to trade like for like in terms of talent, even if uh, where uh, from one position to another, 
So uh, I think that seems like about right value, but I don't think it's quite as obvious that he's going to get traded. If everyone comes back and, and you know, then maybe they would look to move him. But uh, and then a lot of it depends, too, on how well they play in the playoffs. Like what if he comes back and plays pretty well in the playoffs and we decide, hey, this formula can actually work with him. But if they did look to move him, that seems like about right value for me. Favors will turn 26 this summer. And depending on how serious you think his injuries are, he might even be kind of an older 26. He did come into the NBA pretty young and a talented guy but as you said the league is kind of moving past him a little bit that seems like a fair return but I also don't think that's necessarily what the Jazz are looking for considering they're competitive right now right they might look for a similar value but in a very different form I don't know exactly who that would be but and and keep in mind they got two draft picks this year uh and then they have a protected first coming still lottery protected first coming from OKC uh that could convey as soon as next summer as well yeah so they don't exactly need more I mean it's not saying not saying they would turn it down if that if that were the way it was going to go and also favors not only has value because of his cheap contract next year but also he has a low cap hold for the year after so depending on the, the where the that team's structure is but my instinct is that he will not be traded this summer however it's entirely possible to me that he gets moved at some point during next season and he could actually be a very interesting one where i could see him moving before the deadline like substantially before the deadline if the jazz kind of realize that he doesn't fit with what they are but his but that's not because of his value like let's say he's been healthy for a month and he's been fine but they realize they want to go in a different direction let's say hayward comes back then maybe they move him while his while before he's before he gets hurt again or before anything like that that would be a very interesting proactive move that they should consider yeah and favors it's just he's a really good player like oh uh, yeah when healthy it, and it's well, been I mean, a shame that discussion that... remember a year ago at this time we were discussing who the best player on the jazz was and he was involved in that conversation oh absolutely and obviously hayward and gobert have both made big strides this year to really even outstrip where he was last year but uh, i think that if he could get back to that level that he was two years ago, which is not impossible, as you said, he's 26, that, again, I don't know what player they could get that would give them the upside that he necessarily would. And it also just makes them a really tough matchup. Also, uh, yeah, there's not a ton of spacing, but he also will just, if you put a power forward on him, you just destroy that guy in the post. So, um, and they those two guys are also awesome defensively together. One other note on his value, the Jazz cannot extend him. Nobody who is acquiring him can give him an extension that he would take because the most they could offer him would be 120% of his $11 million salary to start with. He would not take that offer. But a team that acquired him that had cap space could renegotiate and extend him we talked about the jazz doing that that ship has probably sailed now unless george hill leaves uh but another team could look to do that with him still uh last question here on the last 15 and 60 we talked about how the heat have turned around their season offensively they've been a top five to seven defense this year i'm wondering what do you think the keys have been to their defensive success there are a lot of different components with them one of them the biggest ones is effort like this team just they they go at it hard and they uh, also play effort, a lot effort of and guys. conditioning yeah yes. i think because you can try really hard but then if you get tired you can't try hard anymore so conditioning is huge an underrated element that i, I think is a part of their story and a few other teams and then we saw this actually with Dion waiters in the playoffs last year is strength is a very important consideration if you can get it while still maintaining reasonable athleticism and miami happens to have a lot of strong guys for their position 
yeah james johnson among those i mean he he and waiters have both played very well but it, it is an interesting point because if you look at their starting lineup luke babbitt is not a great defensive player Whiteside still is a big presence at the rim and i think when he's engaged it's underrated how good he can be there now in the pick and roll he can be a liability and his effort still will wax and wane but they've gotten more out of him this year i thought their defense at the start of the year was going to be awesome but that's because i thought that the guys getting most of the minutes were going to be josh richardson tyler johnson and justice winslow and those guys haven't played as much johnson still is pretty good richardson has played and he's still a good defender rodney mcgruder has been excellent for them also uh but wayne ellington is not viewed that way but they've gotten decent performance out of him i mean it's it's just been coach bolster has done an amazing job and i think that that's uh that's the biggest thing that you can point to for that uh what do we have next here from Cy underscore the photo guy what teams outside of the playoffs projected i guess because we don't know yet have the best chance to make it in next season and who falls out so i think we could start just by ruling out who's not the answer to this question Uh, the Magic, the Nets, the Suns, the Lakers, and the Kings, I think, have almost no chance of being in the playoffs next year. Would you, would you agree with that? I mean, obviously, things can change, it, it, but, uh, barring, but especially you consider... Barring a, subst- barring a sea change, yes. Well, and not only am I saying that because those teams don't have a ton of talent on the roster... But I'm also saying that because all three of uh, all five of those teams, uh, I actually I wouldn't put the Knights in this category, but they don't have their draft pick or really a way to get better. But the Magic, Suns, Lakers, and Kings, all those teams have had inconsistent managerial performances, shall we say. So I don't necessarily trust those teams to make some awesome moves that are going to get them to improve. And that's when you consider the limited resources they have at their disposal to begin with. I mean, I guess the only way that you could see that changing is what if the Lakers just decide to try and make a trade with if they keep their draft back then they try to make a trade and pick up like a paul george or something like that uh but again don't that seems very unlikely to me uh who did you see was there anyone else that you ruled out other than those five no there i think there are teams like the knicks that have an outside shot of it but the knicks could certainly be good enough to make the playoffs like i'm not i'm not going to write them off at all but to answer to answer the question in terms of who has the best chance to make it next season for me it's the minnesota timberwolves the timberwolves have a ton of talent and they also have a confluence of factors that a lot of the other teams that are just missing won't one they're young so they'll improve that way two they have cap space so they'll improve in that way and three they don't have players that are on their team right now other than Shabazz Muhammad who are going to leave so basically all they're doing is adding so they could trade guys away they could trade Rick Rubio they could do a few other things but I think that they're they're in that place that's different from Portland who I think is is another serious contender for this where Portland it's going to be hard for them to get better they can get better just by being improved from where they were this year but in terms of new talent it's going to be hard it was between wolves blazers and nuggets for me but you could see the nuggets potentially taking a step back if they lose gallo and just aren't able to get it together on defense you know maybe they trade away wilson chandler and farid and they just i could see next year being a little bit more of a consolidation year for them even as some of their young talent may look pretty good uh they also it's possible even that they could uh you know have a coaching change as well at some point during the year if they disappoint like that that wouldn't be impossible i had picked the blazers over the wolves a little bit they've been playing better since nurkic came into the fold i just think that damon cj are really good 
So that that they would be my pick, but I agree with you that if you wanted to say like which t- of those teams is most likely to really break out and get to like fifty wins, I would probably put put the Wolves there. So pretty tough choice. Any what about in the East? Who if you had to just limit that answer solely to the East? I would probably say whoever of the Heat, Bucks, and Pistons doesn't make the playoffs. So because all those teams, you have a reason to believe that they could make it the next year. The Pistons are going to bring back largely similar talent. The Heat have been super well coached and they have a lot of flexibility and then if the bucks don't make it they're the obvious pick because they're i mean i fully expect them to make it next year so i would go with those guys but actually what i wanted to turn back on you was i actually struggled a lot with the second part of this question related to the west of who's gonna fall out and i ended up eventually settling on a hedge that i don't love but i think is the most accurate answer of whoever gets hurt oh uh, you're talking about next year yeah because all like, the teams like who, in the west who like, replaces them yeah right like oklahoma city i think they've performed over their head in clutch games this year but they should be they should have good talent next year i don't really have an issue with that memphis that could be the year they fall off but it also could be the year that they, they don't i like some of the young guys that they brought in that haven't really had a chance to play this year and then everybody above them i mean there's the chance of course that the clippers just blow it up and that they fall out but i'm not going to bet on that right now yeah they are playing pretty poorly though recently even with all, all their guys healthy the jazz if they lose gordon hayward they could be in big trouble um but yeah i think the clippers thunder grizzlies those teams the grizz you know are going to be a year older uh not a ton of talent in the pipeline shall we say for them i mean chandler parsons if you had to bet on whether he's going to contribute ne- positively next year or not you would have to lean towards not uh and then yeah there are these hungry teams blazers nuggets wolves even the mavs you know have played really 500 balls since that horrible injury riddled start uh the pels presumably are going to be better next year uh with cousins and ad if they could just get some three-point shooting around those guys uh maybe cousins could actually get in a little better shape they might have uh, a coach upgrade next year depending on what happens with gentry Oh, and a um, team in the East, because we didn't talk about East teams that could fall out. The Hawks, depending on what happens. I mean, I believe in Budenholzer as a coach, and I think he can lead a less talented team to the playoffs. But if they oh, lose Millsap without a return. Yeah, I mean, and Millsap's going to go downhill anyway. I mean, it, it, the, the East is interesting to me because I think right now it seems to me that the Celtics, Cavs, Wizards, and Raptors are the top tier, but that those teams also are looking like they're going to be the top tier for the foreseeable future if they retain their talent. I mean, the Hawks are on the way down. And, and the Heat, Pacers, Bucks, Bulls. Uh, if Jabari were were still healthy and still playing at that same level, and they brought back Middleton, I would feel better about the Bucks' chances to move maybe into the top four in the East. But not many of these teams down there appear to have a lot of upward mobility. Maybe the Pacers, if they fix their bench, or the, the Pistons, if they just you know Reggie Jackson comes back and plays a little bit better. But I mean, it seems like the chance of any team in the East that's not already playing at that level getting to like a 50 win uh, amount next year like doesn't look very good for well for and the sure. Sixers have that potential long term but crawl, crawl walk run I mean they're not going to be there next year yeah uh, well uh, a lot of it dep- I mean they're gonna have 50 million in cap space and they could yeah, have and, two- and Colangelo spending it not you know so they might they might actually go after it yeah then uh, I mean if Embiid if Embiid plays a whole year next year uh, and they have Simmons back I, I think they're just going to be too young I agree with you at the crawl walk run that uh, I don't want to project that there but yeah I mean I guess you could even 
say if you wanted to pick of all the teams that are in the bottom 11 in the east right now if you want to say which of those teams is most likely to win 50 games next year i still might actually go with the sixers out of all those teams just because i think they would have the upside if they everyone gets healthy and you know but they're gonna be they're gonna have all maybe one or two top 10 rookies and like it doesn't seem likely to me but you know they played so well with Embiid on the floor this year Joel Embiid's defensive rating this year was 99.1 if he can stay on the floor for 70 games I think they could actually do it okay let's move on here contra positive if you're Celtics GM and you get a top two pick do you trade Isaiah Thomas either immediately or after he re-signs a max contract I think this is a false choice and a very important one in terms of laying out the Celtics situation so if they draft a point guard that player is not going to be good right away the Celtics want to be competitive so the ideal circumstance for Boston I mean I think the way that you play that if they get let's say they take Lonzo Ball or Mark Ruffles is you're going to need a, a while to evaluate it summer league training camp and then at least part of the actual season playing against NBA players if in the best case scenario that guy looks like the real deal and that they can contribute right away then you can trade Isaiah Thomas at that point otherwise unless a team makes a stupid offer for him they have enough flexibility to just kind of wait it out a little bit longer and then maybe they make a move at the deadline maybe not but I don't think that signing Thomas to a max contract which would be next summer that would be summer of 2018 yeah. I don't now, think now, he's a positive yeah. on that contract yeah now uh I'm going to answer this question in the assumption that you know Isaiah continues playing close to his regular season level in the playoffs and that the Celtics don't disappoint in the playoffs which to me would be either you know a hard-fought second round loss or they make it to the East Finals in that case moving Isaiah once again as we talked about it's not really possible in the NBA to trade a superstar which is what Thomas has been this year to trade him and get pieces that are going to help you as much as he helped you immediately so if they're a team that's looking to be in contention a lot of it depends too on the offseason what if they bring in Gordon Hayward or the or they bring in another like pretty good free agent to where they reasonably feel like hey we're in contention uh you know we got to go for it this year i mean teams that project to be top four teams in a conference almost never trade players away i mean and remember we talked about that with paul Millsap, right like he's in the last year of his contract he's older than isaiah he's not as good as isaiah and the hawks are nowhere near as good as the celtics and they still didn't trade him away right so this idea that they're going to trade him unless things just go so badly in the playoffs this year or someone gets hurt or, or they strike out in free agency and they get that top to pick if and the way that this trade would happen would be if they say hey you know what it's clear we're just not going to contend we didn't get anyone in free agency let's just get what we can for thomas we got this pick we got jalen Brown. these young guys we really should be building now take a step back and let's try to be really awesome again in three and three or four years uh but as long as they're in contention i don't see that deal happening and then you know whether he gets a max contract or not i think you just have to let it play out and get more information because what if you draft faults or ball and they get hurt their first year or they just don't look like they're going to be that good and then your team is still pretty good and you're like hey you know what like i get it isaiah's 29 he's undersized but what else are we going to use this money on we can't replace him because we're capped out anyway uh maybe fultz and ball or, or ball might not be that good so yeah i i, I think the chance of him being traded are, are very very small to me um anything else on that one or should we do it a, a commercial here let's make some money <laughs> Well, that was a rather clunky lead into the commercial, but fortunately, the product that we're recommending is pretty easy to sell. It's just the most comfortable underwear that I've ever owned, MeUndies. 
you've been settling for these sorry store-bought underwear five packs me undies is just far far superior it's designed in la and made from sustainably sourced micromodal a fabric that is three times softer than cotton they come in an ever-changing selection of classic colors bold shades adventurous patterns that you can tailor to your own personal style you can even save up to 33 percent each month with a monthly subscription basically you're buying in bulk to save but if you're not going to do a subscription you can still save with 20 percent off your first pair at meundies.com slash cap space you can go ahead and revamp your underwear drawer i had a buddy who started dating a girl and she uh, was less than complimentary of his underwear and so he decided to utilize that meundies.com slash cap space url revamp his underwear drawer and uh now that's no longer an issue for him so just give it a shot and check it out that first pair with the 20 percent off is well worth your time i think you'll find as i did that it's the most comfortable pair of underwear that you've owned meundies.com slash cap space is that url all right you want to do a little lightning round here as we did last time just uh, put the clock on 30 seconds and uh we'll just each of us will answer on our own here so do you want to ask and answer it ourselves? Is that the way you want to do it this time? Uh, no, want- I, th- I think it's more fun if we just if we pick the other person's one, uh, unless we just find one that we're desperate to answer. But uh. okay, from ESM eighteen, do you think there are areas of d- draft prospect skill sets that traditional scouts and teams routinely overrate and or some they underrate? Underrating, I think, is just again the ability to potentially be a three and D player, to be a role player. You always want to see players who can score it's interesting that usually the players who get drafted or even if they're a senior and they're not going to project to that role in the nba they'll be averaging like 18 a game in college so i think more role players in college in the d league maybe that that's undervalued a little bit and then overvalued is just scoring i think especially scoring in college in the mid-range when you're not really exploding all the way to the basket sorry if i went too long there that's okay i was i just wanted to say yeah just ball handling in general for me i think it's for non for non point guards it's actually a little bit underrated i think about ben mclemore as an example of that i wanted to mention that yeah and i'm blowing through the time limit here but yeah i agree shot creation among players who just are not going to be able to create their own shot in the nba i think evan turner is like the perfect example of that him going number two when he just doesn't isn't able to create the kind of separation to have the athleticism you need to be a primary shot creator in the nba uh all right let me find you one here uh track auto asks is the stepian rule necessary anymore yes look at the nets look at the kings yes <laughs> i agree with you wholeheartedly there it's just and not only is it necessary because it prevents teams from giving away their draft pick but it's also like just a reminder that it's a really stupid thing to do that it's so stupid that there's a rule that prevents you from doing it from cwebfan23 what's up with the bucks is this recent surge fueled by middleton's return maybe jabari's absence has actually helped them well, having Middleton, Middleton's probably a more effective player winning NBA games than Jabari is. But the recent thing is just they've gotten lucky in close games since the All-Star break, 9-5 and five with a negative net rating. So I think they're playing really right around the same level that they were playing. It's just they've gotten some good luck in, in close games lately. Uh, here's one that should take 30 seconds. 50 Puff, what moves can Portland make? CJ's new salary kicks in next year and they don't have much cap room. That's probably actually uh, understating their their uh, lack of flexibility. Yeah, they're deep, deep, deep into the luxury tax, which means that even just clearing salary doesn't make them a team that can use cap space so really what they can do is the most important thing is use their taxpayer mid-level exception well and try to find takers for 
some if they can find people who are interested in somebody like Myers Leonard, that would be great. If not, they're pretty much going to have to to roll it back and use that taxpayer MLE really well because they don't have many asset contracts on their books that they're willing to trade. I'll take this one myself here. Aziz and Ader 25, what team do you personally think you'd do the best job coaching? The answer is no team. I would be infinitely worse than even the worst coach in the NBA. I might be able to help a little bit with some rotations and some late game strategy, but I have no idea how to run a practice. I don't know plays, although I'm trying to, to get better at that. And most importantly, my coaches would or my players would have absolutely zero respect for me because I've never coached before at any level. I'll do one for myself too, since we've gone in that way once from why not Dolphins between the five teams vying for the last three spots in the East. So they classified that as the Pacers, Bucks, Heats, Pistons, and Bulls, which I think is fair, which has the best chance of pulling an upset in round one. I would say the Pacers, the Heat are definitely an option here as well, but the Pacers just have, they have talent in a, in a nice distribution. Paul George can really take it to another level. Miles Turner's become a better defensive five and Jeff Teague can help run their offense. I think they can put a scare into a lot of teams. Miami has this wonderful set. We also don't know what's going on with waiters, but since so much of what they do is based on depth and defense and effort, those things often wane a little bit when we get into the playoffs, but he could certainly do it as well. Yeah. Pacers and heat for me, I see no chance for the other teams to, to pull much of an upset. Last one here, retro bro, nine this will be so short of an answer that you'll you have time to answer it too whose draft stock do you expect to rise as the tourney progresses i have no idea i don't really watch the tournament i think that in some ways you can actually improve your draft evaluation by not caring about what happens in the tournament compared to the regular season at all i agree with that but i'll just say probably the duke guys just off assumption i think they're <laughs> going to go far in the tournament and yeah yeah whatever team does well right that's basically it yeah oh can i do one I, well or do you want to you want to start doing some longer questions because there's there are a few more that i want to answer oh yeah i mean if we yeah if you've got some of these uh some quick hitters here let's let's bang them out okay from d hall of fame what do you think will happen with the clippers this offseason and what do you think should happen so what i think will happen is actually less interesting i think they're going to just run it back which is that they're, they're going to offer full maxes to Blake and to CP, and they're both going to come back. JJ Reddick's a more interesting question. I could see him seeing the writing on the wall and going somewhere like Minnesota if they make a similar offer. Well, and the Clippers, uh, yeah, gonna, and I think they're just going to—he's going to find more money elsewhere. Yeah. So, so I think that, and then that'll just lead to—I talked about this actually with Arturo Galetti on Real Jam Radio with the Grizzlies of being a team that will eventually age themselves into the wilderness. Like I think that's what's going to happen with them, and so Doc will stick around until he thinks that there's not much he can do. What I think should happen is I guess actually pretty close to that. I advocated for them to trade Chris Paul and should, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. And the reason for that was the writing on the wall at that point, but they, them tanking or losing all those guys at this point doesn't really create a better circumstance because they still have all this money tied up in Jamal Crawford and Austin Rivers and DeAndre, though I think DeAndre's contract is very good. Yeah, mostly agree there. What could change it is just if they lose in the first round in ugly fashion, which the way they've played lately, I wouldn't wouldn't rule that out. Uh, also, maybe another component here too is that Steve Ballmer is looking to find a new arena solution. And there's talk that he might try to join up with Stan Kroenke's project in Englewood with the Rams and having a good team can't hurt with that or at least even be you know if they're terrible which if they let all these guys go they would be for quite some time you know I don't think he's ready to face the music on that yet all right here's a longer one uh diabetics puppy who uh 
according to his avatar avatar do you say avi or avatar i say it like the, yeah, like, the like, like the james cameron movie right right but but when you abbreviate it is it you would use it like avi is how you abbreviate that would you say that avi or avi avi probably huh avi avatar i don't know we're we're uh world uh yeah. how how do you feel about steph curry winning the mvp race in large part because of the warriors wins in 2015 despite harden's better season stats wise now that westbrook is favored by you guys this year despite having less wins but slightly stronger stats well that is a a mischaracterization in a number of ways one is that i don't think harden did have better season stats uh, than curry he had better counting stats than stephen curry but he played more minutes and part of the reason he played more minutes was because curry didn't play in fourth quarters because they didn't need him to yeah i think by the advanced metrics they were pretty similar uh and then also if you want to i think that that result was pretty well backed up by the fact that curry really dominated him head to head in the playoffs i mean you remember harden's game five he was three of 16 with 13 turnovers uh, as they got beaten pretty badly uh and curry curry's game three in that series was pretty unbelievable and the only reason that wasn't a sweep probably was because curry actually like missed time and uh got injured i guess yeah game that game five actually was not a blowout come to think of, i'm thinking of the the series afterwards or the series the, last the game year five, but, the game five they, they, they took control yeah. late but yeah but it was it was very very late and yeah, it was, it, yeah, they hardened, yeah. I think, turned the ball over on the last play, if, if memory serves. But longtime listeners will remember that I actually, when the Dunked On podcast started, which was in was in April, I was still on the fence on who the MVP was. I didn't really turn until the very end of the season with Curry. And Harden, yeah, I, I mentioned this before, his counting stats were better, but he played more minutes and he did provide value in those minutes. I'm not discounting that, but it was based on that. And like Curry had better offensive numbers in terms of PER and true shooting. He also had a higher assist... He also had high, higher assist percentage and a lower turnover rate. So, like, you have a lot of those components, and both of them were not great defensively. Yeah. And, so and, and he was he he was on the number two offense, and Harden was on you know the number like twelve offense that year. They had, yeah. Houston actually was much more of a defensive team that year than people remember. And as for this year, I mean, to, so you know, stats wise, uh, the stats that we care about, I think, do matter. But I don't give a shit about Russ averaging a triple double. That's not why he was my MVP. In fact, the biggest reason that I had him as the MVP, if you're going to say and uh, to be clear of course all four of those guys at the top are, are very close to me the biggest reason i am is the mvp is his clutch performance has been unbelievable you know i mean that if you're really talking about value added that helps you win games now that may not be sustainable that may not indicate that he inherently is a better player than james harden but he's performed better in the clutch and the thunder have performed better in the clutch relative to where they've been as a team this season and uh so that's been a big part of it for me. Houston actually is kind of disappointed in the clutch this year, uh, and their, their late game offense has been a problem. And it's particularly shocking that Oklahoma City has been that good in that way because their limitations would make you think that they could actually really struggle in the clutch, and they haven't. Here's a quick quick hitter. Vince 05051. Would cutting the length of the regular season cost the league money? Nobody seems to know the answer to that. As far as I can tell, it has not been studied. It certainly should be studied. Uh, And I think that it very well could make them money. I mean, by making the product scarcer and making people want to pay more and and having the television rating go go up. But no one knows the answer. This is my new white whale. I want to try to find somebody, and it's not me because I need to find somebody who has access to more data and who's smarter on these sorts of things than I am because I think that you could shorten the season even 
even by 20 games without losing anything on the national television contract so then it really becomes yeah how much... that would increase the value of the national well television contract, it's already under, it's already signed so i'm going to even argue in the narrow term that it's well, well that... Uh, yeah i'm not talking about the money that comes into the league i guess the question was would it cost the league money but but in terms of just the pure value of it like to the broadcast partners right. i think it would be worth more yeah right it would be and so so but you're losing presumably in that if you're kind of making that sort of a shift you're losing money in terms of local tv revenue and naturally gate revenue and everything that comes from that so you're going to have a, a portion that that is lost in the, in that part of it but not necessarily a ton and then also remember that half of the loss in bri what if whatever it is if it's big or it's small goes to the players because the players you know there's basically a split of bri and i think that actually is the biggest reason why it hasn't happened is that neither side has too much of an incentive but if either side starts moving saying that's a sacrifice we're willing to make i i'm hopeful that it could eventually eventually happen k myers 123 nate i recently reread your pre-draft write-up on marcus smart from 2014 whom and i had him as number three overall that year you're so high on his athleticism and ability to finish calling it elite why do you think he struggled so much at this uh well the reason is that i was wrong <laughs> uh he got to the rim and he finished pretty well at oklahoma state but he doesn't have a ton of explosion off of one foot and since that time i've become more of a believer this is something that david Locke turned me on to and i've even talked to uh you know a coach in the d league who says hey we charted our players finishes and when they go off a of one foot they're much more efficient th- than off a of two uh so i I've and he's much more explosive off of two than off of one. I watched a lot of him in the U19s the year before he was drafted, and he looked very athletic in that setting. But maybe that was just again like he had a lot of like plays where he'd come in for tip dunks off of two feet that maybe are not as useful with the ball in his hand. And then also, I think you could point to some of the injuries that he's had. He's had severe ankle injuries uh, two years in a row before this one, so maybe he's just not quite as good as he was. But I think that's just one that I got to own that uh, I got wrong question from varying underscore efforts i think the question was just 2013 lebron versus 2016 curry better player like i guess that there isn't a question mark in that but that does count as a question and for me it you look at it kind of you separate out offense and defense and offensively i think they're close curry last year had one of the best offensive seasons that we've ever seen it was just spectacular and really i i would actually say it's fair to use the the phrase game breaking just in terms of his ability to shoot off the dribble and pull up from long range from insanely long range like that was legitimately special lebron in 2013 was amazing offensively but not quite at that you know like we're, we're talking like cream of the crop standards here but why i would take 2013 lebron by a by a, a decent margin not by a ton is the defensive end lebron beyond being a tank was able to switch on to smaller guys he was still at that phase in his career where he could do that he was disruptive even as kind of a help defender rim protector player sort of like how he was in the 2016 finals but he was more athletic in 2013 so i would take lebron especially if i were building teams in the abstract but you know it, it and and i actually i don't i don't want to say oh but it was a close call i don't think it was a close call for me well curry was better in the regular season i think that that was pretty clear he had and that lebron regular season was great too i mean we're talking about 2013 heat 2016 warriors were maybe the two best clutch teams ever uh in the regular season and then even if you look too at, at their playoff performance until of course that game's i mean the warriors were unbelievable in the clutch in the play playoffs until that game seven and the heat of course uh, had some great clutch performances as well in game six and game seven of uh that final series and the biggest reason i would say is that 
Steph Curry got hurt and LeBron James never ever ever gets hurt and I would have loved to have seen if Curry didn't get hurt what he could have done in the playoffs last year and then also I think you can also point to the fact that Curry has had a significant drop off this year you can also point to the fact that even though he won the MVP in 2015 he wasn't near that 2016 level and so if you wanted to just say hey we're going to take you 2016 Curry or 2013 LeBron and we're going to have you play a whole another season right now you can say that Curry's shooting just was not as sustainable as what LeBron was doing because he was in the midst of you know maybe the second greatest run that any player has ever had and that was really the peak of his powers maybe you could look back at 2012 or 09 also as, as being there but with his shooting that year especially uh 13 is a perfectly fine LeBron season to pick as the best so I would pick LeBron if Steph Curry hadn't gotten hurt maybe I would be thinking about it differently I do think that if you just look at what they did that regular season that Curry was better than LeBron in that regular season but there are a lot of other components than just simply you know what their actual performance was if you wanted to just say how good of a player he was sometimes there's a little bit of a difference between those two things uh from Ben from Ben Quadinaro Wait hold on let's Go. uh we need to uh we need to make some more money here We can do that uh, from uh, from SeatGeek who will ah. actually uh and SeatGeek can save you money on tickets and concerts really any event that has tickets frankly SeatGeek is the way to go for two reasons number 1 they save you time they rank every ticket based on value and they combine together ticket buying sites so you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites and you don't have to look at every ticket in a section and try and figure out okay you know this one is four rows ahead of this one but it costs ten dollars less like which one do, do i really want SeatGeek incorporates all of that into their algorithms algorithms that i know danny has been impressed by as as a former ticket industry worker worker sounds like really so uh you could say ticket broker like, that's what i was ah okay former ticket broker that's uh, yeah wor- worker is like you know is this like russia in 1917 it, i'd like to think of you as having uh, a little better working conditions than that um but anyway seat geek will save you a bunch of time because those algorithms will tell you where the best deal is and so now you're only going to one app that saves you time you can look at what tickets are the best deal for where they are you click on that ticket and you're done in two minutes instead of having to spend 20 minutes trying to find some tickets so it makes everything much easier and of course it wouldn't be a dunked on ad if you didn't get a discount $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase via rebate if you enter that cat space code so enter the cat space code SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first purchase that's the free SeatGeek app promo code cap space okay so where were you going to go now Danny Ben Quadinaros, hopefully got it better that time. How dumb is it on a scale of one to 10 that Fred Hoiberg has now decided to play campaign Michael Carter-Williams and Rajon Rondo over Jerry and Grant every game? I don't know, four. If only because I think Grant's progress this year has been overstated. Uh, He's shooting 36% on threes this year, which is certainly an improvement and none of these other guys can shoot, but he's also, that's on 113 attempts. You know, if he had missed four more of those attempts, we wouldn't be talking about him being a quality option. His volume is still very low on those shots and you know it's not like he has some great assist percentage or he's getting to the rim all the time and creating for others his defense is fine but it's not amazing he'll get some steals every once in a while but he's not just like locking people down and he's 24 so i'm not going to say that even though he's a second year player he has some great mod development uh i would also imagine that hoiberg has been gently asked to play cameron Payne, but he's missed the last few games and uh with a foot injury so we'll see whether he comes back into it now uh carter williams the he is not going to be a part of their plans probably as a restricted free agent going forward uh pain might be 
So, and, and they still want to, now that they traded for Payne, they want to see what they have in him. They had to at least give him a shot and, you know, five games or so. And maybe that shot will have ended now, especially with this foot soreness because he's been so bad. Uh, but there are plenty of reasons for not playing Grant over this period. I will admit that they don't make a ton of sense, but it's not like Grant is some like future stud in my opinion. So that's why I'd say four. And up until, and maybe even through now, they've been trying to make the playoffs and they're trying to kind of accomplish a couple different things at one point. And they also might have a better sense of Grant considering they've had him the whole year and he's been healthier than Carter Williams has. And then Rondo, you know, if they're trying to win, Rondo arguably makes the most sense. So I'm, I'm, I understand part, at least parts of it. Cly Maximus. Should the Pistons blow it up? Third highest payroll in the league, currently sitting at ninth in the East. They also are going to have to pay Contavious Caldwell Pope, which he didn't say, uh, but he said they could be perceived as a low ceiling moving forward. What do you think? I don't know what blowing it up for them means. They're, you know, they have a bunch of guys on kind of mid contracts, you know, like in the kind of in the teen range that uh, Tobias Harris, Reggie Jackson, John Lure, and then they have, of course, the max contract from Drummond and probably max contract KCP. So they're not really going to be a cap team, like at least in a significant way anyway. I don't think they're going to pull, you know, I don't think... The, the, what is preventing them from getting Gordon Hayward is not having max space. It's you know, I don't think Gordon Hayward's going to go there anyway. So I don't think that blowing it up for them really makes much sense. You listen on all of their guys. They have nobody at this point who I would say yeah. you you, so you Stan failed. has said exactly that basically. Yeah. So so you listen on everybody. If another team overvalues your asset, by all means, and if another team undervalues their own asset, you do that. But that's not blowing it up. Yeah, it'd be one thing if all these guys were 27 or 28, but uh, yeah, they stagnated a little bit this year for sure uh but reggie kcp they still have stanley johnson who's got a, a little bit of upside drummond we talked about how we don't think he has as much upside just due to the nature of his game on the 15 and 60 but nonetheless he, he's a little younger he should just get better defensively at least so i think that they this year has been a bit of a step back but they could get back on the path to where if everything breaks right they could win 50 games for two or three years and you know is that really worth that much before then those guys start to get old again maybe not but uh, you know would you rather just be terrible for the next three years instead and just like try to get a bunch of draft picks you know that's not what Sam McGunney signed on for and for where they were when he came in you know it's not like they had a, a ton of upside there either they just had like you know a bunch of number eight picks on their team so uh, they're in a rut uh, but at least they're young enough to where they, they can steadily improve over the next two three four years uh so no, I wouldn't blow it up. I don't really see what the alternative is. It may not be satisfying to say, hey, how is this team ever going to win a championship? They're probably not. But, you know, that's that's how 20 of these teams in the league probably feel at times. At least 20. From the Gourmet 9, why are you guys so low on young players' potential to get better and improve? A lot of NBA players become starters or occasionally make huge leaps to be stars by their in their mid to late 20s. Maybe they're just predictions that I'm taking them too seriously as statements. Maybe. Uh, we are, I mean, there are plenty of guys that I'm not low on as far as their ability to improve but you have to have a reason to believe that they they will improve other than just simply you know it's his first or second year in the league right i mean it, predicting improvement is one of the hardest things to do i mean jimmy butler was 24 and a role player and now he's a top 15 player it's not something that you can do that well but you have to look at what the history has largely been of players who who have been similar and 
if a guy is playing i mean usually future performance is in general and there are obviously very many exceptions to this a function of what is the guy's age and how well is he playing right now and then you can break that down into you know what is his potential physically and how is what he's doing right now is he showing flashes all all that stuff but generally that's kind of how you do it and if you're chris dunn and you're playing horrendously and you're already 23 i'm sorry it's hard to think that he is is going to make a leap it's happened before you can't write it off completely but the overwhelming history is shows that players like that who are older and don't play well aren't going to improve the exceptions to the rule I mean, I, i'm sorry are, and i shouldn't say i shouldn't say aren't going to improve but won't become you know star players uh, which yeah. he was drafted at number five in theory to be or even you know very high quality starters the exceptions to the rule in this case are far more memorable because a they're becoming good players and b they're just you know like that's you, you a great think about point them. right Th- like think isaiah of all these thomas dudes isaiah thomas kyle lowry those type of players don't have very much and a lot of them it's because they figure out how to shoot like there there is this resounding parallel with all of them and also there is like a consideration that i i I had this with people got really mad at me because i said i would like right now i I would decline henry ellenson's third-year option yeah i didn't agree with you on that by the way uh and thanks to to dan feldman for highlighting that let me me give a little context on it with all of that what i mean by that is not i would do that right now of course not. That's that's silly. But what I'm saying is I would be leaning in that direction if after you get all of the available information between now and October that he goes in, that that it goes in that direction. I could go into more with the roster spots, but I don't think people care. But the idea here is that there are a lot of players who get into the, those circumstances and don't and don't succeed. And we don't focus on it as much. You know, they kind of they kind of fall by the wayside. The the Gerald Greens of the world or any you could go yeah, in a million right, different right. directions. No one's no one's going to remember Tyler Ennis because he'll probably be out of the league after this year as a guy who looked terrible his rookie year and then just never improved and was out of the league. But, you know, or Nick so, Stauskas. Like, there, right. Like, the, there are plenty, plenty of those or, or Ben McLemore. There are plenty of examples of guys who just weren't good as rookies and, and were a certain age. And then just and, and you know, I, I'm not going to completely give up on Stauskas and McLemore as NBA players even still. But there are a lot of these guys who, yeah, you don't remember all these lists of guys because they're completely nondescript. You remember Jimmy Butler. And the last point I want to make, this is where I was going before I took myself on the Henry Ellenson tangent, is that whenever we're making statements like this, it is a likelihood proposition, not a certainty thing. So no matter what, there is always the the possibility of things changing outside of our control, whether in the positive or negative way. You know, maybe a player gets has some sort of off the court thing that becomes a big problem, or they have a way better like work ethic and they fix they fix a flaw that we thought was intractable. What a statement like Chris Dunn, like it isn't going to work with Chris Dunn is saying is that maybe it's an 85% chance or a 75% chance. You're always reserving the possibility. We don't, we can't see into the future. And I think what a lot of people do is they take there, there's this issue with probability. This came up in, in other contexts, which I don't need to get into of extreme likelihood being certainty. And those are absolutely not the same thing. Yeah. Well, no, what you're talking about is the election and how Nate Silver said there was a 30% chance that Trump was going to win. And everyone's like, oh, you can't trust any of these projections because uh he said hillary had a 70 percent chance of winning and then it, trump won but you know 70 percent is 70 percent, right like i mean if you're shooting a free throw if i say you have a 70 percent chance of shooting this free throw and then you miss it that wasn't doesn't mean that like the data that says you're a 70 percent three throw shooter was wrong because you missed a f- one free throw uh, uh but anyway that's uh, uh 
I've gotten a few mostly on Twitter when I'll like cite to like the 538 numbers or something like that and they'll be like oh we'd all know that these projections are worthless like no they're not worthless it's just it gives you in fact I kind of like them because they do have validity and then when something counteracts them you can say that hey yeah this was actually pretty unlikely like look at that that was pretty cool uh you know sometimes in sports rather than politics when you know the consequences don't really matter on a society you can (laughs) maybe take a little more lighthearted view of things uh but yeah let's uh let's move on here one thing that we actually did too is we took some questions towards the end as well because i heard that like people were just getting downvoted for no reason but i scrolled up from the bottom just to see if there are any good ones that, that we liked um let's see here uh this is from prowl possible destinations for patty mills this offseason and at what price if he wants to be a starter there will probably be a few options on the table we don't know exactly who's going to be making the decisions in orlando but if it's not rob hennigan i could see them having mills where he's a good player and can be part of the answer but is not definitively over alfred payton you know like you can kind of strike that balance a little bit and really whoever misses out on drew holiday and a couple of the other best teams that could be New York, could be Sacramento, you know, whatever kind of team is is left out there when the music stops. But where I think he's going to end up is San Antonio. I'm thinking Jeremy Lin type of money for him. You'll recall that Lin three for 36 with a player option uh, on that third year. Mills is 28. Uh, I, I think that's about right uh, for him. He hasn't made that much money in his career. Uh, I think that he's good in San Antonio because he's got Manu Ginobili, who could be retired by that point, but uh, and Kawhi Leonard next to him. I think he actually on a team like the Magic, not to say that they won't sign him, but his skills would be wasted there because he's not really a pick and roll creator. That's what the Magic need. Um, I think the Bulls next to Jimmy Butler, he could be good. They desperately need someone who can just make a shot as a point guard. Uh, the Pacers if they were to lose Jeff Teague uh the Wolves he might make a pretty nice platoon with Rubio if they can't get the upgrades on the wing the Heat uh the Knicks the Pelicans if they lose Drew Holiday the Sixers who'd be an excellent fit and he's familiar with Brett Brown from his Australian national team days uh the the Sacramento Kings if they lose Darren Collison in free agency so he's a good fit in a lot of places as a high-end backup low-end type of starter this next one is uh from why not uh it's why and a-U-T. I prefer to pronounce it though like uh Arnold Schwarzenegger from those old Schwarzenegger soundboards. Why not? Uh so this is the question. To the best of your knowledge, has anyone broken down jump shot attempts by the direction speed type of the shooter's movement immediately prior to shooting? And you can certainly do this with Sport View. Uh, nobody has access to that publicly, but I don't really think that getting this answer is gonna help much. We know that it's harder to shoot when you're moving sideways or uh you know when you're really on the move or something uh every, everyone would tell you that i don't really think there's anything to really be confirmed there i think that defender distance can be a pretty good proxy for how the shot is so yeah i don't i, I don't really think that it's worth the time to spend researching this put it on stuff that we really don't understand because answering this question would be interesting but i don't think it adds to our understanding that much because i'm 99.9 percent sure we already know the answer to this a question from me gib which actually starts with a statement your coach of the year discussion seems to be based on or around teams that exceeded expectations and they brought up brad stevens does the fact that his team greatly exceeded expectations in the previous two years hurt his coach of the year candidacy i want to break this down into a couple different things one i, I will classify it in terms of how i think 
think of our discussions. I think that when we're talking about who we think will win coach of the year, we go on that direction because that's how the actual voting goes. Because Sam Mitchell and coaches of that ilk that win are generally, you know, and Terry Stotts didn't win, but he was close because they really exceeded expectations. Kerr won last year for because the Warriors won 73 games. It's the sort of thing that happens. However, you more so than me, but we're both in the same camp that that if we had votes, that is not how we would vote for coach of the year, because that is very different from who did the best coaching job. And Stevens is an interesting example here, because I don't think that the Celtics have particularly exceeded expectations this year. They did in prior years. That's why he was a candidate for coach of the year, but didn't win because other people did slightly better jobs. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that for Brad Stevens, his performance is already priced in because they've exceeded expectations in past years. So now their expectations are higher because of his good coaching in past years. So it's hard for him to again exceed expectations when the expectation of good coaching was already priced in for them this year. But yeah, I mean, I think Popovich would be my pick for coach of the year. I think he's the best coach. I think in most circumstances, you know, probably 80% of your evaluation for coach of the year should just be who you think the best coach is. I think he and Kerr are the two best coaches in the league and then there's a very good group right behind them as well but yeah my pick with this year would be great popovich and uh you know so i'm basically doing the exact opposite of what you're saying we're doing here an interesting question from stoop kid 74 would you be in favor of removing the lottery and replacing it with a single elimination tournament non-playoff teams where the winners is awarded the number one pick number two gets number two would that reduce regular season tanking so i actually have wrote written about this in the past back in 2011 I actually found this piece because it was there was a discussion about of Kevin Artovitz had written a piece that somebody referenced in terms of ways of eliminating it. The biggest problem with it is a structural one because you're asking players who are on the team to risk injury for probably a very limited financial return to get players that will potentially bump them in the rotation. It's a major, yeah, yeah. major is, is, problem. Does Eric Bledsoe want to, I mean, maybe he would because he just wants to get out of Phoenix, but, but would Eric Bledsoe in theory, or maybe a player with less talent who could be like pushed to the bench, you know, would Ricky Rubio want to like help the wolves win this tournament so that they can then draft markel fultz and replace him like yeah especially a player who's going to be a free agent like after the next year or a player who's going to get squeezed out in that sort of way and that i I mean i think you and i both have different ideas on how to resolve this mine and if you want to read the full thing it's on the sporting news i wrote it i think it was a year and a half ago about what i would do it's similar to what amin al hassan has proposed which is you give teams blocks of money based on their based on kind of the idea of draft slots and then based on finish and then the players just basically go into a rookie pool and the players can get contracts based on that amount and you could either trade or combine those amounts together so that if a a player wants to sacrifice money to go to a better situation they can and that actually has gotten more complicated now with the idea of the of the supermax because now you might actually want to go now the sacrifice is different to go to a major market early because those teams have a unique ability to re-sign players later on yeah i think all that's too complicated my only change to the current system would be just fix it so if you win less than 15 games you can't get the number one pick in the lottery uh that would eliminate just totally egregious season long tanking but i still think that the evil of a team having no hope is much greater than a team not really trying that hard for the last 20 games which as we've discussed is really something that it's rational to do anyway as we saw it with baseball teams who don't didn't value the draft up until a few years ago for example trying to develop young players even football teams will you know bring in a young quarterback for the last couple of games or so to, to try and evaluate so you're still going to see this type of behavior maybe not quite as extreme as what we've seen from the lakers but to me the idea of a team 
team having just no hope over like a really long period which could very easily happen with this tournament idea or just being a terrible situation guys not wanting to go there uh all of that is still a much greater evil for me than this tanking is well Um, and also with with the tournament what are you rewarding are you rewarding teams that are just good enough to not make the playoffs like what's the point like yeah i i I think about all these things in terms of what behavior are you incentivizing and it's very unclear to me other than the entertainment involved in that what it would who it would benefit like it doesn't make sense yeah yeah you and there's could be a lot of unintended consequences there too oh yeah Uh, jam jammy jam i i can take this one can you talk about orlando's draft luck why does it always seem that the top level talent they've had in the past always wants to leave as soon as possible remember dwight signed an extension so he didn't leave as soon as possible no one ever turns down those max extensions uh and then he signed away his eto yeah yeah that's right uh and then their draft luck they got the number one pick two years in a row in in, uh 92 and 93 so hard to complain about that i mean they got number two in 2013 uh and then they got number five these last couple of years and have not necessarily done too well or or they get no they got four and then they got five uh but and have not necessarily done too well with that uh then they traded away obviously the number 11 pick last year uh, you know, I don't think that they've had that bad of luck. And the reason that uh, Shaq left was that they probably could have offered him more money and, and they signed a dumb contract with him that he could get out of that early. And then Dwight Howard, the, you know, the team was doing okay for a while. And then they clearly were on the downswing. They didn't have a way to get better due to some of the contracts that had been signed. Uh, you know, they had uh, Richard Lewis and then Gilbert Arenas on the books. Uh, they kind of, that team had kind of had their shot. I understand why he wanted out of there at that time. So well, it, and I th- it, it I made sense to me. I, I think I, don't, I think that like people would be happy to stay in Orlando if it were a winning situation. And, and I mean, remember for like as you can't say Orlando has no appeal. They got like Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill to go there as free agents and almost got Tim Duncan. Almost. Yeah. And and so and I think with Shaq, you also have to remember that he left for almost a perfect situation. It was the Lakers who had interesting young talent, and it's the Lakers back when they still had all of that aura. Showtime wasn't that long ago at that point, and they offered him a ton of money. Like why? What that that's a circumstance circumstance that if it existed in today's world the, the a young player of his quality would do anyway like that that was bad luck just because they had the wrong player at the wrong time uh barn earlier in the season a lot of people seemed to count but he healed out now he's playing well in sacramento uh which we talked about and then they said why is no one talking about him and he lists off their stats i'm like well actually the last 15 and 60 we did about sacramento we listed off those exact same stats <laughs> for buddy healed and talked about him extensively also recall that you know i probably did like a 10 minute breakdown on how buddy healed was playing in new orleans so we've looked at him pretty extensively he says is it inconceivable to see him becoming a starter level three and d guy on a good team uh i don't think he's ever going to get there defensively uh this guy says his athleticism is better than people give him credit for i disagree i don't think he has especially his leaping ability is pretty low definitely below average for an nba shooting guard so i mean i could see him being an acceptable defensive player he is going to work hard uh you know and maybe he could still turn into a lower end starter um when you consider he can hit threes stand still at a very high rate and can also uh you know i think will defend adequately but he's also a one position defender that's important to remember too so uh i think he could be it's not going to be like a horrible player i don't think he's going to just wash out of the league it's just you know he was drafted number six people had higher hopes for him i don't think he's going to achieve them one other thing i want to mention i'll echo all of that is that his free throw attempt rate has more than doubled since he's been on the kings and if it can stay closer to where he is now that's great but i think that doubling it you know i think he's at like 0.167 right now i think that if that starts to dropped and that also hurts his value as well um very quick one here who uh gussel sprout asked who makes the playoff sooner wolves or pals will assume they'll both miss it this year wolves either way it's the wolves 
yeah, you just don't have the faith in New Orleans getting it together, even with Davis and Cousins next year. They don't have so. Assuming Drew comes back, which is a big question. They yeah, that's a, that's a question. If they lose him, they're really burned. Right. They're, so the, so they have that downside possibility, and also they just don't. They can't add too much outside of it. I mean, you could see players like Solomon Hill do better than they did this year. I would be hopeful of that, but they they don't have a lot of means for improvement, especially because they presumably won't have their own draft pick. And so the Wolves do because they have cap space. They have a coach slash GM who wants to spend their money and get better. So all of that runs together from Thomas underscore. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, There is one other thing we have to say uh, on the Pels, which is uh, on my podcast with Justin Ferrier, we uh, posited the scenario that what if the Pels were to actually re-sign Omri Caspi, would they still have his bird rights? Because the way that that rule is written is, you know, it can be one or more contracts, but... uh, I thought that since he was traded and then they were going to release him and then re-sign him, that that might impact that. Uh, I talked to Larry Kuhn about that. He confirmed that actually they would, in fact, have his bird rights if they were to re-sign him, uh, Caspi. And so I think that they should definitely try and do that. He has, in fact, been working out at the Pels facility and maybe even offer, because he's going to have some chances to go to playoff teams, maybe even offer him the room exception, which they still have some of. That would be probably about you know $1.5 million or so for just you know these few games pay him a little bit more and he only was making three this whole year and then it just as an enticement to get him to sign on and then they would still have his bird rights and in fact uh if they signed him on to just a minimum rest of season contract then they'd have his bird rights and his cap hold would only be the minimum so that actually would be even better than what his cap hold would have been before um you know it's actually that would be a great potential uh, for abuse, Danny. Although the only problem is then that people could just claim the guy off of waivers if they wanted to do that. Um, yeah. that's, that's the risk. So I was thinking like, oh, you have a guy who's making $20 million, And then, oh, how about this? How about we just release him and we'll re-sign him to a minimum. We'll still have his bird rights. And then, you know, his cap hole to be the minimum. Uh, but but it th- could, it could happen with yeah. like, I, I don't know. This isn't a good example because he didn't want to stay there. But like Joe Johnson on the Nets or a player. There are players who, yep. have, who have contracts. Or, or you could are- just do it. You could do it at the end of the year if the guy's caps, uh, you know, was making so much that no other team could actually claim him off of waivers. You know, nobody could claim him. Uh, I'm sure the the league would probably crack down on that because that would be like pretty clear circumvention. But that would be a that would be a really interesting loophole, and that's that's why, frankly, I think that the this that should not be the rule that like if you get traded with your bird rights, if you then get released, uh, you shouldn't be able to uh you you lose, you lose and still if you get have the if you rights. get released and unclaimed then you lose all bird rights i mean that's that's just the way it should work yeah and not claimed right yeah i think that's uh well i mean they also want to reward guys who you know let's say you signed a 10 day and then your contract ends and and you know maybe you're kind of scrapping and clawing at the beginning of the contract well sure I would say yeah probably, that's, yeah at the beginning i would of the say contract. maybe if you get released in the last year of your contract that might be the way to do that that you would you lose your bird rights with that team if you get released in the last year of your contract god now i'm going to think about all these guys next year that theoretically like who could they wave and then lower it like a guy who I, i'm gonna figure out somebody for this oh god yeah uh, well uh, hopefully this i don't think this will ever happen and it would be it would be pretty risky and, and kind of weird and the league would probably just outlaw it anyway um all right should we get let's get two more here and then we can uh i thought this one was good thomas leggett which nba team do you think would win a tournament between players 11 through 15 in each squad my first answer was miami because they those guys play really hard and and unlike a lot of other teams they don't really have stashed guys down there it's more like Ocaro whites who've played well in the d-league and have actually you know are kind of battle tested in that way it's not like the the raptors who have some good players but would also have bruno out there so i, I think you kind of look in that direction there are a few other teams that that have some very interesting cases but i think the heat would actually win it 
Uh, I would go with the Spurs because they just always have such good success, even when they're resting guys and bring those guys in. I think when you have less talent overall, coaching then becomes even more important, and uh, the Spurs have had good success. The Jazz and Nuggets would also come to mind just because they are just so deep with like with quality players. Um, I think the Nuggets would be the best team personally. I think they would. I think they would have the most talent. I just don't think they would win. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you might go with the Jazz too. I mean, they've got a lot of guys who you know could be 11-15 when when fully healthy. You know, I mean. I mean, they they would have either Shelvin Mack at point guard. I mean, they could bring in Alec Burks. Probably wouldn't even necessarily be in their top ten. Uh, Trey Lyles, you know, uh, Jeff Withy. Like they, they would, it wouldn't be bad. But I, yeah, I think they would be the Spurs just due to. I mean, because we know that the the Spurs, even when they're playing their lower end guys, have been really good before. Um, all right, which where do you want to go next here? Well, I think this is probably going to be the last one, right? Uh, D Musens, do you think that Paul George's aversion to playing the four has held him back from reaching the next tier of star players? And which other players in the league might this type of type of thing affect going forward? One, Paul George is aversion to playing the four. He's best defending threes, so his aversion to playing the fours doesn't really make much sense because that's not a good use of his value. You want to have another wing near him or somebody who can kind of you know be that hybrid who can shoot threes and also defend fours. So I I don't blame him for that because it's not a good use of him well it is a good use of him offensively sure uh but the problem is they don't have any other wings with any kind of size they tried i mean last year when they did it paul george was still defending threes when we talked about this move initially and there was this controversy over it when he had to defend anthony davis like a little bit in the preseason but it was clear that he was mostly going to be defending threes as you said that's the best use for him they just don't have never had another three and d guy uh bringing in thad young was kind of uh, a step in the that direction but young not quite as good of a shooter uh and also remember when he tried to come back play the four he just you know had that horrific broken leg a year earlier and he was still experiencing soreness in that leg even throughout that season so the idea of having to take that physical pounding did not really appeal to him but i think the bigger problem is that if they really had someone who is big enough to guard power forwards and could still shoot and kind of be a wing uh that he would be fine playing the four on offense nobody minds doing that everyone loves playing the four on offense it's the defense that sucks and, and there's really no reason for him to play the four on defense as you said we do have actually one more here that that i wrote out an answer to so maybe we should hit that one. Oh yeah yeah i, I just missed it on the sheet so from uh, tig from tigris alt altasia so it's a hard one for me to pronounce how important is game time for the development of young players what's the limit for the development that can be achieved during practice film study etc so i think it was kevin pelton and forgive me this because i'm going from memory here if this is not an entirely accurate summary but once you adjust for the fact that better players are just going to play more uh there's no evidence that playing in nba games actually helps with development in the in the first couple of years um which certainly would be counterintuitive but in some ways when you first come in you're trying not to screw up you're playing as like an ultra role player i do think that playing in the d league helps but really i mean just being in the nba the amount of work that guys do whether it whether it's film whether it's getting stronger whether it's just you know two hours of shooting a day i mean or, or you know whatever it is going to practices playing in practice all that stuff i think really helps in fact i would much rather have a player even without the d league sitting on the bench in the nba and just learning how to be a professional learning from nba players learning from nba coaches learning how to just be a man learning how to develop the skills that you're going to need to be successful in the nba as opposed to like we talked about earlier right like if you're just some senior who scores 17 points 
points a game in college in ways that you're never going to be asked to do in the NBA because you don't have that type of talent or athleticism to be a scorer in the NBA. Like that doesn't help you. I mean, you know, it's still basketball. You're going to get better at shooting and stuff. But in general, staying in college for longer gets you to be a better college player and being in the NBA, even if you're not necessarily playing, helps you become a, a better NBA player. Yeah, I have no opposition really to, to any of that. It's it's an interesting kind of question also because there's so many different things that you would want to control for if you were going to compare it, compare it within the NBA. And it, I think that you're also like the the support staff is an important part of this like not only the accountability but that you have these people who it's their job to make sure that you're the best at doing your job and not just temporarily but permanently because that team is invested in you and that's you know like you you hear players talk about that and also the support staff is an important part but also i think about like the way that steve nash influenced the nutrition of basically every guy who ever played with him once he could reach that kind of level jared dudley talks about this a lot those players those individuals exist in the nba and are far less prevalent in college though college teams have strength coaches and all that sort of stuff as well in the pros it's generally the best of the best and you have the institutional knowledge yeah and and frankly like a lot of college coaches are clowns (laughs) i mean they're just and they're not concerned about getting you ready for the nba the example that i think i can cite to this is an older one is jermaine o'neal jermaine o'neal basically sat on the bench for like three years in portland i think he was drafted in like 97 and even by like the 2000 western conference finals wasn't really playing and then he got traded to indiana and was like basically immediately good i think he had one year where he maybe averaged like 12 and 7 and then he was an all-star for like two or three years four years immediately after that helped them win 60 games uh so i think it's definitely quite possible uh to learn when you're on an nba bench certainly can't hurt to get development time for sure can't hurt to go to the d league especially if you have a player like you know i think even someone like Jalen Brown the big team has been using him and he's been helping them win games so this wouldn't happen but a a player like Jalen Brown I think could benefit from going to the D-League just from playing you know having the ball in his hands a little bit more and kind of helping to develop as a scorer but you know there's also summer league for doing that too you know I I think there's still plenty of of development that that's possible so I you know I'm not sure that there is necessarily a ceiling I mean unless you just account for the fact that hey if this guy was really that good you know he'd be playing right now Uh, you know he'd force his winning even someone like Kobe Bryant on a loaded Lakers team you know he at least played some his rookie year and then i think he even made the all-star team or something in his second year uh so if you're really going to be like an all-time great you're going to be playing even you know if you're right out of college your your first year at age 19 but yeah they can't all sit behind ac law all right that'll do it for today thanks so much to our sponsors seat geek use that cat space code to get 20 dollars back from your first seat geek purchase and me undies me undies.com slash cap space get 20 percent off your first purchase for uh, the most comfortable pair of underwear that you've ever owned talk to y'all next time at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.